Well, we didn't high-five Christmas. Uh, that was a fail. Uh, anyways, hey, you guys are watching this, uh, presumably, uh, Christmas morning. So, uh, Merry Christmas uh, from us uh, to you. Uh, I hope that it's a, it's a joyous day for you. Uh, my, my kids, my family, and myself, because obviously we're filming this ahead of time, uh, I'm probably sitting around in my living room uh, watching this. Uh, Hi, Mom! You know, kind of that thing, you know? And, uh, and so we're, pro we're probably watching this as a family, and uh, like most families, uh, my kids asked for wildly unreasonable things. Uh, the youth group just bought a whole VR system. Uh, shout out to the youth group. Y'all yeah, should check us out on Wednesday nights. Uh, but the, we just bought a VR system, so I know they're a little expensive. So when Landon asked for a VR system, ah, that's a little unreasonable. When Brady asked for Super Bowl tickets, that's a little unreasonable. And we have one and a half dogs, and so when Reagan asked uh, for a puppy, well, that's a little unreasonable. Uh, but tis the season. Uh, tis the season for what is unreasonable. But it also kind of catch this. Tis the season to know that there are unreasonable asks, unreasonable things that we want, but we're fighting for what we feel is reasonable. We're asking for the unreasonable while we're fighting for what feels like it should be reasonable. We're closing out this series on Christmas Day. Uh, the series called Jesus, I Know Him. Our friend, Buddy the Elf, uh, said, Santa, I know him. And, and so we, we kind of, kind of, you know, like spoofed on that a little bit and said, well, we're celebrating the true meaning of Christmas, Jesus. And so when we talk about Jesus, who's the Jesus that we know? And so in, in thinking about this reasonable, unreasonable uh, thing, when we say Jesus, the Jesus that you and I both know of the Christmas story, but sometimes we're humans and we, we forget aspects of Jesus. Jesus is fighting to be number one in our lives. And so often, doesn't that feel unreasonable? Like from, from a heavenly perspective, it is very reasonable for Jesus to be number one in our lives. And it's very reasonable for us to get an A on the test that says Jesus is number one, but then when it comes time to live out of that reality, doesn't it feel unreasonable? Like it's hard to live as if Jesus is truly number one all the time. And when we are living that out, again, doesn't it feel a little unreasonable? Like Jesus doesn't want to be just in our top five or ten priorities. And for if, if Jesus is in our top five, our top ten or whatever, like in comparison to the rest of the world, like come on, that seems pretty reasonable. We're doing pretty good. But, but Jesus never settles for just good enough. Jesus, from an unreasonable humanly perspective, Jesus unreasonably wants to be number one in our lives and everything else a distant second all the way on down. Jason, it's Christmas. Come on. Shouldn't we be talking about peace on earth? Shouldn't we be talking like, and you've, maybe, maybe before you opened up gifts, you read a little bit from, from the Bible and, 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 you, and you, maybe you read that. Maybe you read that passage and like you're thinking peace on earth and maybe like you've turned on the news or maybe you're watching some parade and you've seen some flow that said peace on earth. Like this is the time of year where, where it's cool to be, to say some Christian things and it's like the only time and maybe like peace on earth, peace on earth. Like 
Jesus says, shouldn't that be, okay, well, here's what Jesus says, and this is, this is why we're mentioning it today, because we want to have the right perspective on peace, the Jesus that we know, like, how does he view this? So here's what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. Uh, I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Like, like, kind of like, remember that, like, uh, if you've seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, uh, like, what's all that one in a million talk? Like, you might be thinking something similar right now of like, well, what's all that peace talk? Because we know when the angel said, like, uh, peace on earth, uh, goodwill to all men, like, that's the phrase that we're thinking of. That's when we think of Jesus in the Christmas story, we think of that sort of, that phrase of peace that we're all familiar with. Many of us are familiar with. And now I'm reading a passage. I have not come to bring peace. So Jason, Jason, what gives? What, what do I, what do I make of this? I gotta turn on my clicker to get it to work. What do, what do I make of this? You see, there's, there's this tension. There's this tension for you and for I when we understand that we have peace with God. But then isn't there this tension when, when we're trying to live that out and Jesus is trying to be number one in our lives? Have you, have you ever told somebody that their priorities are misaligned? Have you ever told somebody that they need to make some changes in their life to, to make the number one thing truly the number one thing? Have you, have you ever told somebody that? You know what a word isn't used in that situation? Peace. Because as somebody that has had to uh, lovingly tell people, hey, you need to adjust a few things in your life, that type of a conversation and the actions that are needed out of that conversation, they don't feel peaceful. And so that's what Jesus is kind of talking about here. Here's, here's what I want you to remember through this text. I want you to remember that our Jesus, Jesus fights for our peace. We have peace with God and he's going to fight for us when he says bring a sword. He's talking about a scalpel. That sort of a, like a precision, uh, precision cut. The, the type of thing like this, he's, he's trying to create a surgery that has this good outcome. The, that, that you walk into the doctor's office, you need the scalpel, and that's going to bring pain. That's going to bring a situation that doesn't feel peace. And then you're going to leave the doctor's office, and there's going to be recovery. That moment where there is recovery, where there's this tension, where there is this, this like the, a suffering of sorts, that whole process doesn't feel peaceful. But done correctly, the better result that comes brings peace. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men is, is true. What Jesus is saying here is that he's, he's doing a surgery on our lives that will not feel peaceful. He's going to stir some stuff up to grow us into the, into the likeness of his son. But when that happens and when that process plays out, at the end of the day, John 16, 2 Corinthians 13, we can know that there's an element of peace when we go through what doesn't feel like a peaceful process. And so this text is going to show us three ways in which Jesus is fighting to bring a greater level of peace in our lives and areas that he's fighting in and for. The, the first area that Jesus is fighting is Jesus is fighting simply to be prioritized. Here, here's what he goes on to say. He says, for I have come uh, to set a man against his father, 
and, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and, and a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than, than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves his son or daughter more than, than, than me is not worthy of me, not worthy of me, not worthy of me. Je Jesus is talking about priorities. He's talking about this natural tension. Like you and I live in families. Some of us, some of us live in good families. Some of us lives in, live in hard families. Some of us live in a house where we, where we share uh, Christian values. Some of us live in a house where we don't share Christian values. And Jesus is bringing up this natural tension where this tension where we can, we can make our families to be God. He's bringing up this tension where we can feel like we need to be God within our families. And Jesus is saying, like, I want to be, and I deserve to be, you love because I first loved you. I deserve to be the number one priority in your life. Does that mean we're supposed to hate our families? Does that mean that we're supposed to, we're supposed to neglect our family? Like right now, when, when Graham turns off this camera, I'm supposed to say, you know what? To heck with my family. I'm going over to Africa. I'll send you guys a letter from time to time. And it's been nice knowing you, but you know what? I'm going on mission for God and you guys can't come with me. In the context of scripture, Jesus is not calling us to physically hate our family. He's talking to us about making our family not the end-all, be-all, greatest priority in our lives. But come on. That feels unreasonable. Come on, Jason, it, it feels reasonable. You're right. This is what Jesus has in mind. You're right, this is the tension that you and I are walking in. Okay, you're watching this. It's Christmas morning. You're probably watching this, and if, you, if it's like my house right now, although I'm the trash person on Christmas Day, uh, there's probably Christmas stuff all over the place. The house is a little chaotic. You got things to build and whatnot. So we have our own little, you know, you maybe walked in with a whole bunch of, whole bunch of presents and um, these are gifts, 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 and, and, and they're all good things, but, but you know when you have a bunch of gifts, right? You know when you give a bunch of gifts that usually, more often than not, there's that one gift. That one gift that tops them all. That one gift where you, where you pull out your cell phone and make sure you get it on video. That, that one gift where you're like, okay, open that, open that, open that. But this one, this one's the good one. This is the one you asked for. This is the one that's going to bring the tears. This is the one that's going to make you run around the house. This is the one. This is the one that you're going to play with for more than 24 hours. This is going to be the one that you're going to treat well. This is going to be the one, like, this is the one. This is the one, right? And we all have those types of, of gifts, both, both on Christmas Day or maybe in life. And, and so... We got gifts, and we all have things in our lives that feel like a gift. Okay, yeah, my, my Jesus, who's full of grace and mercy, that, that's a gift. That's a gift in our lives. But we have other things that are reasonable gifts. They're not wrong, and they can go wrong places, but they're not wrong. I, my, job is a, my job is a gift. My, uh, my, uh, what, uh, my health is a gift. My friends are a gift. My, 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 the money in my bank account, that's, that's a gift. I see it as a, I see it as a gift. My, my family, my kids are a gift. My, my marriage is a, my marriage, my family, my marriage is a gift. My, my one and a half dogs, like those are gifts. Like these are gifts in life that they're not wrong. And they're all, these are all reasonable things. And what Jesus is talking about here in the reasonable gifts of life is he doesn't want to be part of the bunch. He doesn't want to be like, hey, these are all a priority. 
That's not what Jesus is. He didn't, he didn't die to be part of the bunch. God didn't send his son to earth to be in the mix. <laughs> These are all reasonable things. Jesus wants to be unreasonably, from an earthly perspective, detached. Apart from the crowd. It's you and God. And you're going to find peace here. And then, as, as this is your number one priority, here's what you're going to start doing. You're going to start loving Jesus through your family. You're going to start loving your number one priority through your finances. You're going to start loving your number one priority through your job and, and, and through all these reasonable gifts. When this is so far number one, you start loving the number one through these things. And so when it comes to family, what Jesus is clearly saying is that he wants to be priority over everything else. When it comes to your family, how does this bring peace? When Jesus ruffles, like right now, if, I, if you're looking at your family and saying, man, like they are, they are the priority and I've made a God out of my family. Right now there is a bunch of tension brewing up inside you that doesn't feel peaceful. Okay, so, so how do we go to get to a place of peace? Because my Jesus gives us peace. Peace I leave you, peace I give you. You start to feel peace when you start to realize, man, if my husband or my wife, they don't love Jesus and I'm, I'm, I'm living that life and I'm embodying it, I'm sharing with them, I'm doing everything I can. Here's the peace I'm going to feel. I do my best, but I'm at peace that the results sit with God. I can do my best, but it's God who brings salvation. I can live at peace knowing that I don't, I don't have to take on the pressure of being God in my family's life or being God in my marriage. That I, I wake up, I have my time with Jesus, and, and it's God's job to be God in their lives. And I have responsibilities in my family. I can be at peace when, when God is so far my number one. I can know that my worth doesn't come from my spouse. I can know that my worth doesn't come to, in, in, in how my kids perform or how they don't perform. When they make me enraged and angry, well, that doesn't, that's not a, that doesn't tarnish my worth before God. And when they, do, when they excel, that doesn't bring me greater worth before God. There's a peace that comes with this family unit does not define me. But it becomes an area in which I can worship God, my true number one, through my family. The second area that God uh, is fighting for is he's... He's fighting for our sacrifice, and when he gets, when he's fighting for it, when we get to the other side, there is a level of peace. Let me let me explain. Here's here's a verse. Here's what Jesus says to us. He says, "And whoever does not take up, take take whoever does not take his cross and follow me, is not worthy of me." If you're not w willing to sacrifice, do you understand the sacrifice of Jesus? Jesus says it very clear to take up your cross. He, he makes it so crystal clear, and yet we feel like as Christians, we can somehow escape the call to suffer. That we can avoid and live this like carefree life but, and, and avoid the dangers, but, but God is calling every Christian into, a, into an element of suffering, persecution, and sacrifice. He's calling you and I to pick up our cross and, and, to, and to ultimately sacrifice for the Lord Jesus. And, 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 and the crazy thing about like you and I right now, like we have a reference point that, know, like, that knows like this is how it played out for Jesus. We have that reference point. But think about the audience. 
Jesus is still living. Jesus hasn't experienced death. He hasn't risen again. Right now, the disciples know Jesus as a man who was born and a man who is still living. And so when Jesus says like a cross, they're like, Jesus, you're tripping. What? <laughs> the cross is reserved for the Romans and all these heinous people. Like, what? You want us to be a criminal? Later on, they would understand. Nah. I want you to be able and be willing to give the ultimate sacrifice. So, so you might have like a, a cross tattooed on your, let's say your wrist or your, your shoulder <laughs> or right behind the ear. That's a popular one. Like you have like, maybe you have a tattoo of a cross or, or maybe you wear a cross around, around your neck or uh, maybe you have some t-shirts. Uh, maybe, maybe it's on your watch band. Like it's, it's not uncommon to have the cross either on a body uh, somehow or around a house. The cross isn't a fashion statement. The cross isn't just what, uh, what a nice uh, Catholic Italian man has on, tattooed on his body. The cross, when we see it, is a reminder to you and I that no sacrifice is too small for our Jesus. I study and I, and I, and I work on these sermons six months, six months out. So if you ever come to me after a Sunday morning, you're like, did my wife or did my husband tell you I was coming? Did you, did you know that? I'm gonna be like, no, <laughs> six months ago. Okay, buddy, all right. So study these six months out. Six months ago, I was on a plane. I went 24 hours. Went in the morning, came back at night, uh, did a thing in Denver at a missions conference. And, uh, and so while I was there, I was listening to a missionary that they kind of had to speak about in code uh, because she was in an area of the world where um, uh, she, could be, she could be killed if the people like, kind of knew what she was there and what she was doing and whatnot. It was a very Middle East indigenous part of the world. And, it, and when she was there, they were telling this story and they were celebrating this story but it's, you can only celebrate if you understand this context. They were celebrating, here's, the, here's our story. A guy walked into the village with an automatic rifle, opened up fire. She got shot in the leg, didn't die. Praise God, she didn't die. She stays on the mission field. Not gonna lie, if this was me, I'm gonna hightail it out of there. She stays, she gets healthy. She's now working at a clinic. She's serving the community, loving the community as fate would have it, as God would have it, the man that shot her with the automatic rifle came into the clinic, giving her an opportunity to love the very man that shot her with an automatic rifle. It's a wild story. Does God love this woman? He does. He's wildly in love with her. And it was his love for her that compelled her to stay and love on the very man that shot her. You're gonna follow after Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. Here's the example of our Jesus. We can expect opposition and we can expect uh, a level of suffering to come our way in the name of Jesus. Suffering is not something to be avoided at all cost. Suffering is something that you and I can experience peace. It's, it's, this, it's this place when we're suffering in the name of Jesus that we can experience the peace that transcends all understanding. Here's, here's, how, here's how what peace can look like in the midst of suffering. It can look like increased growth, increased knowledge, that God is going to do something in your life that can only happen when we go into that place of suffering. Because in that place of suffering, we know our Jesus like we've never known him before. 
Have you thought about that? Paul talks about a, uh, to, know, to know him in his suffering. I, I, I get a glimpse of the sacrifice that Jesus made for me when I'm sacrificing in his name. And when I start to understand that, what I also understand is that this brings me into union. This brings me into a partnership. This brings me into a place where, where, where I can understand and where I join with Christ in the suffering of, of what the gospel message is. Well, why is that peace? Well, think about it. Think about it for a second. This is, this is the place where you and your family are going through a hard time. And you can look at each one of them in the eyes. And you can say, we're in this together. We're going to get through this. To join Christ in his suffering is to look Christ in the eye and, and to feel like he's looking us in the eye and to say, we've got this. We're going to get through this together. And as we suffer, we remember the Lord's suffering and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And when that is, when that is a reminder to us, we remember that the peace that we have with God, where if this was all to come to the, the, to the very end, the ultimate sacrifice, that truly only you and I as people of faith do we know that we get to rest in peace. The third thing that God says... <laughs> is that he's fighting for our worship. Here's, here's what he says in, in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 10. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for what? If you know the verse, for my sake will find it. That you find your life when you come to the end of your life. You find your life when you're willing to give your whole life over to God. And when you make your life not, no longer about my sake, but his sake. Following Jesus will require you to be obsessed with one person's sake, Jesus Christ. See, religion, this is why we say like we don't, we, we're not about religion, we're about a relationship. Because in a religion, you're doing things. You're coming to church, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're doing, you're doing this, that, you're doing all these religious acts, but, but for whose sake? Ultimately, it's for your sake. <laughs> Ultimately, it's to be found good enough before God. Ultimately, it's like, man, if, 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 if I die and I, and I do all these really, like, I'm, God's going to be good with me. It's for my heavenly sake. But when I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, when I understand I have the, like, eternal peace with God, I do things on this, in this earth no longer for my sake but for his sake. You know what that is? <laughs> That's worship. When you have options to, to be about your sake or his sake, and you choose God, you worship him. You are ascribing him worth. You're saying nothing else matters than a relationship with God Almighty and what he wants. When there's two voices competing in my head, I go with the voice of God. That's worship. When, when there's the way of man or the way of God and you go the way of God, that's worship. You're ascribing him worth. When you're all about, when your life Dying to yourself and not being about your sake, your glory, but all about his sake and his glory. You have found a life of worship. God is fighting, fighting for your life to be a life of worship unto the king. Right now, I'm probably watching this with my family looking around the room and uh, I'm sure Brady is shirtless. 
I think probably Landon is probably wearing uh, one of his hats and uh, Nana's dressed up. She's always dressed up and uh, my dad's cracking jokes and right now rolling his eyes about the bad internet and whatnot at my house and there's all sorts of things. This week, family has come in. Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, Mama Kay, came in on Friday. Uh, my parents came in on Wednesday with Nana, and we have th two and a half, three dogs uh, running around the house right now. And uh, Ava, 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 <laughs> stressful week at work and uh, getting the house together and creating a room out of our, our living room and uh, making that a, a peaceful place and. Um, and then really making sure, like when my parents walked in, they, they walked into literally cookies coming out of the oven and the smell of chocolate chip cookies, uh, the second best cookies in our house and just all these crazy things. And she was doing things and doing things and doing things, losing sleep and waking up early and like not having a moment to breathe, going to the school and doing things with Brady and, and for whose sake? Not her sake. And because I wake up every morning and I pray with her and, and, and because we get to hear each other's heart before God, I can tell you, as only I can tell you, that the way she prayed for my Nana and the way she prayed for my mom and my dad and her mom and our kids, that she went about all of the work leading up to this moment out of worship for the King. <laughs> to love her family as a way to point them ultimately to Jesus Christ. I heard those prayers. So, family, as you're watching this, you have an example before you of somebody who is willing to live their lives, not for their sake, but ultimately for the sake of the glory of God. And you just get to be a recipient. That is a life of worship. So when you live a life of worship, you are a disciple of Christ. And as a disciple of Christ, you know what that makes you? Catch this, catch this. You're a missionary, but you're not in Africa. You're not in the Middle East. You're not in Brazil. No, you're a missionary because you're a disciple. And then wherever you go, you proclaim the name of God and you're all about the worship of God and letting other people know about Jesus Christ and, and bringing worship to the life of Christ when you tell others about him. And so if that's your life's calling, you have, you have jobs, like you get paid, but, but like really your job is that of a Christian. You know what your job description is as a, as a Christian? You know what your job description is as a missionary that just so happens to live in Bayville or Tom's River or Brick or Beachwood? You know what your job description is? It says, it says one thing and one thing only. Your job description simply says, here I am, Lord, send me. And when you and I walk around with this attitude, for his sake, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you need, here I am, send me. Jason, you just said, peace on earth, like God is fighting for peace, he's fighting for worship, there's going to be tension, there's going to be tension to bring your life to a place where you can say, here I am, Lord, send me. How does this possibly bring peace when I'm going to be in, un in, in areas, in places that lack peace? I'm going to have to go to dark places which will not feel peaceful. Jason, how on earth can you defend what will feel peaceful is when you can look at God and say, here I am, Lord, send me, and you've done everything you can. Like the, like the athlete that, that gets to the end of a game and maybe they lost the game. But they're kind of smiling, they're kind of like, okay. And, they're, and you're like, man, like that's the most competitive person I ever have met. But they're kind of like, man, yeah. Because they got to the end of the game and like, I gave it my all. Blood, sweat, and tears, I gave it my all. It's okay. 
At the end of your life, you will be at peace. If you, like Paul, can say, I've been poured out. I've run a good race. I've, I've fought a good fight. There is a peace that will overwhelm you when you can live a life of worship and talk like that. I fought a good fight. I ran a good race. I gave it my everything. A peaceful mind, a peaceful soul, a peaceful spirit as we live like that. What have we said today as we looked at Matthew chapter 10 and with the, in, this, in the backdrop of, of peace on earth? Well, well, we said by looking at this, like that God's bringing a scalpel to our lives. He's doing this surgery. He's fighting for, for us in certain areas and that will bring us to a place of peace. We, we said that God is fighting for our peace. And, and where are the areas that he's fighting for? Well, three areas that we saw in this text is that he, he's, uh, he's fighting to be prioritized. He's fighting uh, for, to bring us to a place of sacrifice. He's fighting to bring us to a place of worship. You and I ultimately are at peace with God if we put our faith in, in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That you and I know that our actions alone, our religious actions, our sinful need, all like nothing, we, we cannot earn ourselves to God our mind. That through Jesus Christ and how he died for us, died in our place, shed, shed his blood for us, his body broken for us, that you and I are ultimately at peace with God Almighty. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what he does. He begins working in your life as the great carpenter that he is to transform you to be more and more like his son. He chisels a little bit away. He firms something up over here. The great carpenter is at work to grow you into Christ's likeness. And there's a little bit of tension there. Some things that won't feel very peaceful. But it's because he loves us and the better outcome is peaceful. This is our value of daily surrender that every single day I'm going to wake up and say, yep, this is an area that God needs to chisel away to be more like his son. I'm going to sacrifice in that area to be more like Jesus, Christ's likeness. It shifts the way we think. It shifts our allegiance. It shifts where, where we have a group of priorities, but God is so far out in front. This week, uh, in the last kind of three weeks, I've been wrestling with something that uh, really came to light when I was uh, spending some time with Jesus. Uh, the staff did a half day of prayer, and um, we, we, it was like four hours of prayer. And, uh, and in that time, I was in a portion of that time where I was confessing sin to God. And it was kind of like this unique space. I kind of like removed myself from a whole bunch of distractions. And as I was confessing sin, uh, I wrote down a statement that, um, I, here's what I wrote down. You don't have a mind wholly fixed on me. I, wrote, I said, I don't dwell on God. I think about God. And I was really convicted by that. Like, I don't have my mind wholly fixed on God. And, and I don't dwell on God. And I, and, but, but I do think about God. I consult him from time to time. And that really convicted me. And... And I have what, I mean, for some that would feel like unreasonable expectations, but I wake up early, I journal uh, in my, in my five-year journal, I do some lessons on Brazilian Portuguese, I walk my dog, I spend time praying with Ava, I work a little bit on, on a blog, I go to the gym, I do a social media post for some of the, like the professional stuff that I'm doing, if you will, and I try to do that all before 7 a.m. So that's all a little bit unreasonable. So, but as I had this conviction from God in an area that I am terrible at, Sitting and thinking about my Jesus. 
There was a conviction that felt unreasonable. To do all of those things, try literally to do all those things before 7 a.m., there was this unreasonable, what felt like an unreasonable expectation that I needed to change up my routine and just sit and think about God. But I gotta get to these other things. I gotta do these other things. Like it felt like God was slowing me up. It felt unreasonable. So I made this goal, and, and, I'm, and I have Ava holding me accountable to it. I'm, I'm going to read through the New Testament next year, which is like a chapter-ish a day. And I'm going to journal every day about what I read in the New Testament. And I'm going to get through the whole New Testament in one year, journaling each and every day about what I read. That feels unreasonable with how I handle my mornings, but... If I want to grow in Christ-likeness where God has control of my mind, I know that is a step I have to take. And so that is my challenge to you. You're watching this and you are a week away from the new year. As you make goals, financial goals, health goals, you make a whole slew of goals. Here's my challenge. Create one spiritual goal for yourself in 2023 in an area where God is fighting to be number one. My area, I'm fighting for God to be number one right here. So I have a goal around that to help me with that. What is an area that God is fighting to be number one? Maybe you need a journal and read through the New Testament. Maybe you need to set up a financial gift. Maybe you need to look at your marriage and say, I'm not loving my spouse the way I need to love my spouse before God. And so I'm going to make it my goal to go on a date with him or her every single month, even when I don't feel like it. What is the goal for you? Maybe you're watching this. And you know what? This isn't an abnormality. This is just how you take in church. This isn't church. This is a sermon on a video. Church is when we all get together and we're all praising Jesus and we're all, we're all on mission for Jesus Christ. So maybe your goal in 2023 needs to be like, I'm going to cut the excuses and, you know, let's not get one. Just twice a month, at least twice a month. I'm going to be back worshiping God with my brothers and sisters and not behind a screen. So what is that one spiritual goal that you need to make in 2023 in an area where God is fighting to be number one in your life? And here's what I bet. You'll find peace through that process. It won't feel peaceful in the moment, but you'll find peace through the process. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. God, thank you for the ability, the margin, the... Um, the ability to film this and, to, and to, to have this out there. And Father, thank you for being a God that wants to be known through this series. Um, thank you for being a God that can be known and clearly has articulated himself. Um, Father, as we turn off this screen, as we turn off this TV, as we turn off our phones, as we turn off whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would not be turned off. Lord, I, I pray that you would be a focus even as we turn off the screen. Father, as we take this challenge to think about a goal for 2023 that would help us prioritize you in an area that we haven't been doing that, Father, overwhelm us and um, bring change in that area. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. See ya.